Hi, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Abe Miller. I'm on staff here at Sailorville, joined with Kurt DeGraff, our counseling pastor, and then also Lisa Backey, one of our members. Welcome. Hi, Abe. Good Thank to have you. you here with us today. We're going to be talking about parenting today, which is a subject that I don't think anybody has mastered or ever will master on any level. Nope. So this will be an interesting conversation to talk about. So great to have you here, Lisa. Quickly, let's talk a little bit about just how many kids you have, just so everybody knows kind of where everyone's coming from. My wife, Karen, and I are blessed with four adult children. Three of them will be in their 40s very shortly, and then we have a fourth child as well. And uh, we have 12 grandchildren between all of those, so we're very much blessed. And Brian and I have three kids. Our oldest is 22. She just got married, so now we have a son-in-law. That's new territory, but he's awesome. Joe just turned 20. And Jason's 17. So we're right in the home stretch of raising kids in the home. Yes. And and I have five kids. Jesse and I have five, uh, 19 down to 13. So we're right in the kind of similar age range. So I'm here to learn from you, Kurt, because you're going to have all of the answers <laughs> for us. And I'm here to us. learn from you and Lisa. <laughs> we don't have this thing uh, cornered for the market, I tell you. <laughs> it's, it's the one thing you talk to people and it's like, Nobody ever goes to school to be a parent. It's not like you can take a degree. It's not like you get taught that in high school. Like, here's how you parent, or here's the class that you take, right? It's something that we learn. You learn from others. You learn from things like this. What do you do in certain situations? So it's definitely something we don't have figured out on any level. But um, just quickly, right off the bat here, what... Why is parenting... We'll start with you, Kurt. Why is parenting just so difficult? I mean, why is, is, is there... Is there a formula? Is there a way to do it that you're going to guarantee? Every, everybody wants to guarantee that their kids are going to turn out and love Jesus. And it just, why, why does it seem so hard? I'm actually <laughs> anxious to hear from Lisa first. All right. Ladies He's punting. He's punting to you. Lisa, what it's, do you think? And then I'll jump in. It's so hard because we're, um, we're filthy sinners raising filthy sinners. There's, right. And we're learning and growing <laughs> just right as our kids are. I mean, it, it's trial by fire, right? Mm-hmm. No matter how many books you read, no matter how many videos and podcasts you watch and listen to, there is no formula. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most difficult part. So you can do what you can and try to take a little bit of information from everything because nothing is a, a perfect solution or like pastor calls it the cake box parenting. Mm-hmm. You don't just have all the ingredients, put it together and there's a cake or there's a, you know, fully formed, well-rounded child. That's just not how it works, at least not on this side of eternity. So it's just difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I've grabbed that phrase, child rearing, not soon, not certain. Mm. A little bit like the Christian life, it's a battle. Uh, I'm convinced God uses both marriage and raising kids to sanctify us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amen. I think those are two of the biggest things he uses for those of us who are married and have a family Mm -hmm. to try to make us more like Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's a process that takes some time. Uh, It's really important for us to recognize that God gives children to us to humble us. Amen. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, definitely is, is something that um, it definitely, I just talked to somebody the other day about this, of how you, you, you get married and you see how selfish you are, and then you start adding kids and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, you you start to realize, okay, I don't have the time I used to have, I don't have the hobbies, the money is going out the door quicker than it ever was before, <laughs> and it is, it's sinners trying to raise sinners that 
we're flawed and then right. we have kids who are flawed. And there's nothing more selfish than an infant, right? <laughs> Everything right. that they do is so me centered, centered up through, you know, well, through adulthood. We're all just super selfish people. Mm-hmm. When two sinners marry and have children, they have sinnerlings. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, I, I think one of the struggles that a lot of people have in the Christian life is they think that the Bible guarantees, as Lisa said a few moments ago, that if you do it just right, the kids are going to turn out perfectly. Right. But the Bible doesn't really give us guarantees much as we'd like to think it does. A classic verse is Proverbs 22, 6. Right. We often claim that, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See? See there, Pastor? It guarantees. No, it doesn't. First of all, we need to understand that the Proverbs aren't guarantees. They're just generalized uh, guidelines. And that verse is often misunderstood in another way. We think, well, when they get old, they'll come back. What that verse is really saying, if a parent does their best to try to raise their child in the ways of God, when they reach maturity, literally when they are old means when they grow hair on their chin, kind of like Abe's got on his chin right now. Nice beard, I must Thank you. say. Thank you. <laughs> when they come to the age, generally speaking, they'll continue on, but it's not necessarily always a guarantee. Um, I, I like some material from Rob Reno, and he's got 10 myths about child rearing. I just want to read one of them for you. Uh, the behavior of my children is a sure measure of successful parenting. You let that sink in. He said, that statement would cease to be a myth with a slight adjustment. Your response to the behavior of your children is a sure measure of successful parenting. Mm-hmm. So we're only responsible for our responses, not necessarily for the way our, turn, our kids turn out, even though we're doing our best to try to turn them out to be followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Let, let's talk just a little bit about, um, as you guys have raised your kids, kind of walk through maybe some of those stages of when they were little and, and even maybe some tips or some things you did starting off from when they were small, middle school, high school, and then even leaving, and even now, right, Kurt? I mean, parenting, <laughs> even to this day. Yeah, you never stop being a parent. Yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah, just kind of talk through a little bit about even what God taught you in those moments of when they were little and you were just getting into parenting. Cause we got everybody, you know, everybody's at different stages listening to this. Right. So. Right. I think one of the biggest, um, looking back when we had the most conflict, it was when I was most inconvenienced. And I look back and like, because it's that selfish nature, right? The times when we were, you know, somebody was dawdling, getting out of the door or couldn't find their shoes. And I was like, we have to go. And, you know, my anger escalates. And looking back, it's just inconvenience. And it is that that selfish, sinful nature coming out in us. Mm-hmm. Our kids just are like that catalyst that just bring out, they bring out the best and the worst in us, really. But in those younger years, it feels like it's all the worst. <laughs> it's always a struggle. <laughs> and I think one thing we had learned is... Um, There's not a lot that kids can control, especially when they're like two and under. Somebody told me once they can control what goes into their body. They can control to a certain extent what comes out of their body. And that's why potty training is so, so frustrating. (laughs) So trying to give them some choices without overwhelming their choices. Don't say, which color cup do you want to drink out of? Because that will start a fight. Whatever (laughs) cup that they want is currently not available. So say, do you want the red cup or the blue cup? Would you like this or that? Not just opening the door because it's 
they'll they'll just inevitably choose something <laughs> that's just not possible at that moment. So little things like that, little nuggets of information that I was given that I was able to put into place, at least with the third child, our first child we call our guinea pig because yep. everything was trial and error with her. And eventually we kind of learned some of those tips of the trade. But that's at least for the toddler years. I think mm -hmm. growing up, um, there's always going to be a kid that you have a natural bent to connect with. Um, and then, but being smart enough and having the, um, the foresight to reach out to the kid that you don't connect naturally with and being intentional about those relationships. Because as they grow up, it's easier for them to kind of shut the door to their room or have their own hobbies. But as a parent, you have to realize that that's not what they need. That's not what they want. They need you. They need that relationship. It's just being really intentional with your kids at different ages. What encouragement as a woman, can you give to the young moms who are watching, who are about to pull their hair out saying, <laughs> am I going to survive? <laughs> what would yeah. you say to the young mom? You're not alone. <laughs> this is not new. Whatever you're going through, someone else has been through it before. Yeah. And God's not done. This stage that you're in is not the end stage. Somebody told us once again with potty training, they're not going to kindergarten in diapers. So between now and the day they start kindergarten, they are going to figure it out. And just knowing that God's not done. Whatever stage they're in, this is not the end game. So you just got to you gotta stick it out. You got to be brave. You got to surround yourself with women who have, are farther down the road than you are. It's a Titus II mentality. Yeah. Someone else has been there before. Yeah. You just have to find them, reach out. Don't be afraid to say things like, I love my kid, but I don't like them right now. Because <laughs> we all get to that point. You're right. You love your kids, but there's certain phases you're like, they have got to figure this out. They have got to grow out of this or we're all going to pull our hair out. I would say as we move down the line with kids as they grow a little older, uh, I like Josh McDowell's quote, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Mm -hmm. you got to have a relationship with your kids. Not that you're best buds with them. You're always going to be the parent, but they've got to feel like, They've got someone that's there to support, to encourage, to spend time with them. You really, really have to have a relationship. Um, another one of these myths from Rob Reno, he says, some people think, and this is a myth, quality time with my children is more important than quantity time. Uh, we need both quality time and quantity time. And he cites from the classic passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm just going to read what Scripture says. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them. So we teach and we talk. And it gives four ways to do that. Life circumstances where you can inculcate truth by spending quantity time as well as quality time with them. He says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So breakfast time on the way to school, mm -hmm. windshield time, mm -hmm. hanging around the house. Uh, my wife and I found that bedtime was a good time. Kids start to bubble up. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go to bed right away anyway. So they're more willing to talk and sharing what's going on. And I think that's a really good time to kind of listen to their heart. It's just really important. I'll, I'll say more about this in a moment, but I'm, I'm anxious to hear any more that Lisa might have to share. Yeah, I think along those same lines, um, you can't impart what you don't possess. Mm. 
And I think that, you know, I was um, not saved until 25 and that was three months after I became a mom. Mm -hmm. So I was learning right along with my children. Um, And in that same passage, it starts with um, that these words shall be on your heart before you teach, before you talk, before you have those conversations. So if it's not in your heart Mm -hmm. and you don't believe it and you're not living it, kids are great counterfeit detectors. If they see one thing and hear another, they're the first ones. And they might not be able to verbalize it, but some, they can tell something's off. And you really have to be genuine because kids are the first ones who are going to pick up on something that's not genuine. Yep. I, uh, I'll go on to say this. Um, it's really important for parents, starting with dads, to realize that their role is outlined in Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter Two, where we're supposed to train up our children uh, according to the word of God. And, and the two words that are used, we are to discipline them and we are to instruct them. The first word implies some generalized direction, including things like spanking, which we'll say more about in just a few moments. But then that, that second word Instruction means we, we talk with them, we, we discuss with them, we interact with them. And I give folks who come into my office some questions that they can engage their kids with. Ten questions ask your child every year from author Tom Elliff. Let me just give you a little flavor for the kind of things you could ask your kids where you're getting feedback from them. You would say, son or daughter, do you feel we get really along well together? Can you think of some ways we can improve our relationship? Do you believe I really care about you or just the way you make me appear in the eyes of my friends? Have I ever made a promise to you that I did not keep? Do you feel I respect you? You respect me? Is there something you would enjoy doing together with me? Is there something in your life you're hesitant to tell me about for fear I would love you less? What can I do to show you that I want to be more like Christ. And then just two more. Is there anything that I do that annoys you or embarrasses you? And uh, how can I best express the love I have in my heart for you and the honor I feel at being your parent? If we find we're falling short, we need to be able to admit we've been wrong and ask their forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'll say more about that in a moment, but uh, it's really key for us to be humble before our kids because we, we do mess up. Uh, along that line, I, I just want to read you some ways that I think we can exasperate our kids or provoke them to wrath, which we're warned about in the two passages I mentioned. I'll give them quickly. These are some ways that we can really frustrate our kids. Number one is dumping emotions. Number two would be never expressing affirmation. I mean, we're a perfectionist. They never are good enough. You know, we say, why did you get a B plus on that one grade mm-hmm. when all the rest of them are A's? Three, demanding adult skills. Yeah, why don't you act your age? Well, they probably are, especially if they're little. Number four would be lack communication through talking and touching. Now, I admit that I am a touchy-feely guy. I like to hug. I like to kiss. All the way through, even with my two sons, even through high school, I hugged them and I kissed them. And I'm not embarrassed. That I don't really think they were terribly embarrassed either. Mm-hmm. They need to know that we really care. Uh, number four would be uh, 
giving conditional love. Uh, that's performance-based acceptance. Number six, being unkind and teasing or ridicule. Words can stick like shrapnel in our kids' hearts if we say unkind things to them. And number seven would be never admitting we're wrong as a parent. You build in resentment if you never admit you're wrong because more often than we'd like to admit, we are. And then number eight would be over-disciplining. You know, I'm, I'm grounding you for the next year. <laughs> and we go over the top. Mm-hmm. And those are things that can really frustrate our kids. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Lisa, how did, you know, we talked about relationships. We talked about being, um, not being a hypocrite. They're watching what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and Kurt talked about building those relationships. Like, how did, how did you, how did you build those relationships? What did that look like in your home? When did, I mean, when did you actually like have conversations? Was it in the car? Was it at night? When is it, you know, when they came home from school? I mean, mm-hmm. how did you, how did you and how have you? I mean, I've watched you interact with your kids. I mean, you get along with them great. They love hanging out with you. You know, I see that. But how did you instill that, even from when they were little all the way through now? I think it's the the organic conversations. Like you were saying, quality sure. versus quantity. It's um, it's the windshield time. It's uh, I know for boys in particular, it's the shoulder-to-shoulder conversations, not the face-to-face. You need to be doing something. You know, you're playing ping pong or you're, you know, driving somewhere. Um, and late at night, they do just bubble up with information that you, and as they get older, it's later and later and later, and you're ready to go to bed. And all <laughs> yes, of a sudden, amen. they just are ready to open up and talk. But they, you build that trust by humbling yourself, by saying, after you blew it, I, I really blew it. I apologize. And this is what I'm going to try to do better next time. Next time I'm going to take three deep breaths before I blow up. Or I'm going to walk out of the room and compose myself and come back. And then we're going to talk about that. And that apology doesn't always come right away. Sometimes it's a couple of days later and you need to circle back around. But circling back around is so critical because you're just leaving them with that last, whatever you said last is stuck in their head. And usually it's something unkind. It's something off the cuff. It's something untrue a lot of the times. So there's so much humbleness in being a parent. And you you do, you learn and you grow all the time just as they're growing up. You feel like sometimes that they're raising you <laughs> in a way, at least um, emotionally and spiritually, I think you mature so much as a parent. So just being open, being available, that's a huge part of it, is just being there when they are ready to talk. And there will be days when you have very short grunting conversations with them sometimes as they're, you know, teens. Um, But then on that third or fourth day when they come back around and they're ready to spill, you just have to be there. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, I've got, I've got two boys and it it is, my best conversations have been playing ping pong, playing basketball, riding in the car, throwing a Frisbee around. I mean, like those are those moments that you just, you connect with them or, um, I, I know I've talked to other parents too that have said, you know, like, well, it, they, they're trying to be more structured. We are, we are always kind of under the impression of like, take it as it comes, like you're saying, right? Like they don't want to talk right now. Like, okay, I'm not going to force it. Right. But now all of a sudden they open up at 10 o'clock at night and you're like, all right, Lord, like they're <laughs> willing to talk. Like I've got to just suck it up right now. And like, I want to go to bed, but yep. they're open. They're willing to talk right now. So Kurt, how did you, how did you instill some of those things? Did you have regular meetings? What did you do? It was organic in our case, too. We, we did try to do the family devotions thing, but if I'm really honest with you, that's hard. 
It's up and down, <laughs> hit and miss, mm-hmm. with busy schedules. I had to tell myself, okay, pick it up. Do it again, Kurt. Do it again, even if you've missed for a while. I just think them seeing a dad opening the Bible, trying to pray with the kids. We used keys for kids with our yeah. children. Was, was a good tool. But a lot of it was organic. We, we tried to do things with our family. Family vacations were really important. We couldn't afford a lot as a pastor and family, so we'd go camping in the mountains in Washington State. The kids loved that. Mm-hmm. And we'd do fun things along the way. My wife had packed little uh, you know, goodies for the kids to look at as we traveled, and we'd do fun things together. And uh, we, we would just talk. And then as they got older, you know, we, we purchased an acreage, and I did things like gardening, a big garden, and we had a barn with animals, and we did the 4-H FFA thing with the kids, and we went to the fair, and, you know, we had our kids involved in music, and we'd go to their concerts, and we'd talk about it, and we'd celebrate, take them out to ice cream after they had the recital, all those kind of fun things. It's just hanging with the kids, having a good time, laughing together, enjoying each other, praying together, crying together, uh, the definition of organic. <laughs> Yeah, those are those are fun moments that you can just enjoy as a family, hanging out, building memories together. I think I think that is true to the it doesn't have to be something super expensive, super elaborate. It can be something very simple, but we're we're making a connection, we're hanging out. I also loved what you said too about and you've both have said this. They're watching, right? They're they're seeing what are you like at church? What do you like at home? What do you like when the pressure is on, right? Mm-hmm. They're watching all that. They're taking it all in and they're saying like, okay, you're talking about Jesus and you're talking about the Bible and church, but like, are you backing that up? Are you actually doing that? Is it, is it actually uh, coming out of us? Which I think is one of the main teaching things, right? Like what you said, like they're seeing that, like my, my dad loves the Bible. My dad and mom love going to church and being there and having people over to our house. I mean, that. That's speaking volumes. I think when we had missionaries in our home or guest speakers, our kids were all ears watching the real deal, hearing their stories, and mm. that was a blessing too. You know, one of the reasons I invited Lisa to join us is because she and Brian have a great track record. When you look at their kids, mm-hmm. they're godly kids. Yep. And uh, I, I want to draw on people who have seen success and yet – I'm sure Lisa would join me in saying, uh, I'm blessed with kids following the Lord, too. It's the grace of God. <laughs> so <laughs> much Oftentimes, <grace. laughs> it's in spite of me, not yep. because of me. I've had to apologize for getting angry and being over the top and disciplined and saying, I blew that. Lord, forgive me, kids. Will you forgive me? I've gone back to my adult kids and said, I think I spanked you too hard. Will you forgive me? <laughs> you feel more like a cautionary tale most days than a success story. <laughs> True. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, they said, if you, would you, if you could go back and do it, do it over again, like, what would you do differently? I mean, what would you guys say, you know, looking back at it, even from when they were little through the middle schools, now that you look back at it, would you do anything different? Would you change anything? I don't know. Not, um, I don't think I would change anything with the way that we raised our kids, the time that we, um, the sacrifices that we made to, to do, you know, be home with the kids or, um, where we schooled them. But I think I would do more work on myself. I think I would try to get more of my own issues intact or in, uh, under control, you know, like I, I'm just angry. Like that's my first reaction. And if I'm afraid I'm angry, like 
that's my go-to. And I think I just would have been done a little more work on that, had a little more tools in my toolbox before we tried to raise kids. But I think that those are things that don't come out until you're put in that situation. Yeah. I, I like that uh, guideline. Uh, live your life by remembering who's going to be crying at your funeral. If I could go back and do have a redo, I'd I, I spend even more time with my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you know as well as I do, Abe, ministry can eat you up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would say no to more things in church world where I tended to overdo and more yes to my kids. Not that I would turn them into an idol, but you only have them for 18 years Mm -hmm. and then it's, you know, empty nest syndrome, here we go. And I'd spend more time with my kids. Yeah, Yeah, when someone asked me that, I I said, I I wish I would have shown more grace when they were younger. I I have a personality that can just be like, this is the way it is. This is what we're going to do. And I didn't want to take the time. I just wanted to get it done, have them be obedient and move on, which I wish I, I wish I would have shown more grace and taken more time to like walk through the process of why, where we're at, you know? So I still have kids at home, so I still get to like work on that. But uh, let's talk about discipline. How did you discipline? There's all sorts of different ways people discipline timeouts, spankings, taking away stuff. You don't get food. You don't get TV time. Go to your room. I mean, there's everything under the sun. How did you, how did you do it? And what went well? What didn't go well? Talk to us about that. Either one of you. Every kid is so different. You're right. Whatever worked with one didn't work with the other. Mm-hmm. I know for um, our first kid, we had taken a parenting class that was, um, it, they tried to balance authoritative authoritative parenting and permissive parenting. Um, and they, controversially so, were pro-spanking. But the spanking wasn't just off the cuff swatting your kid. It was taking them to their room, explaining what they had done wrong, and then telling them, and now you're going to get a spanking which for our first child worked. She didn't want a spanking. She didn't want to be disciplined. And then she kind of turned a corner afterwards. We went to our second child and I went to spank him one time and I said, okay, you're going to get a spanking. And he said, and this one's going to (laughs) hurt. And I thought, this is not working with this child, but he's so social still to this day. And if you had to put him in his room and make him be alone, it was torture. And that's where he would have a change of heart. He did not want to be alone or isolated. And that was like an aha parenting moment. Yeah. Like, okay, this it's not cookie cutter. You're right. This is not one size fits all parenting. It has to do with the heart of the child and what's going to really get to them and get their attention. Because so much of that is just getting their attention. They're just in one mode. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to do what feels good to me, regardless of the rules. And it's just stopping them, telling them you've been disobedient. Why they've been disobedient is really important. And then trying to come up with a consequence that works. But it's, I feel like it's a moving target. We had one child who punishment was to read a book and another child that if you took their book away, they were devastated. (laughs) So I'm like, what's going on? The, The game's always changing. I I love what Lisa just said. Uh, you gotta look at each kid individually and say, now what's going to be best for this child? But she laid out some directives for, for example, spankling, what we call corporeal 
judgment in that kind of context. The Bible does speak about spanking. A Mm -hmm. rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a youth left to himself brings his mother to shame. Another text in Proverbs, discipline your son while there is hope. you got to do it young. I think we'd probably all agree spanking stops fairly early, maybe, you know, early grade school at the latest, you would continue spanking, and then you move on to other particular means. But what you outlined was really good, and I would add to that after you've given them expectations and told them consequences, and then you you follow through on that discipline, and that's really important. Consistency is really, really important. Then you have them ask forgiveness from God and from you, and then I think it's important for the parents after they've done that to give them hugs and words of affirmation. I love you. God forgives us. And you tie the gospel in. Do you know, I've needed to go to God so many times every day and ask his forgiveness too. And that's why Jesus bled and died so that we could be forgiven. And you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, which may be a segue in leading them to faith in Christ. All four of my children, I had the privilege of leading to Christ, believe it or not, at age four and a half. Now, they probably made sure later on but uh, I, I think just being there, speaking into their lives is really important. Yeah, that, and that's a great point. How, how, do, um, how does discipline, like what is the point of discipline, right? So you're starting with the spanking when they're young, but then it, you, you, you said there's a time that changes. But like, why does it change? Like, why, not, why don't we spank all the way up until they're 18? Well, we want them to associate with wrongdoing. That's clear in Scripture. And uh, for children that grow up into their early elementary years, uh, it's probably more an embarrassment or something that's uh, inconvenience than it is really association with pain. Per uh, your illustration of your second born, maybe isolating from other people is more pain associated because that's the way he's wired We're all wired differently. So a wise parent knows their child and then disciplines accordingly. Yeah, that's good. Anything else on the, on the discipline, Lisa, that you had? Uh, I think the clear expectations that Kurt was alluding to, it's, um, you can't expect obedience if the target's always moving. Like one day it's one thing and another thing, it's another thing, just being really clear with the kids. Um, And then just talking about the why even, you know, in the heat of the moment, you're not going to be like, and this is why we obey, you know, especially if there's danger involved, discipline needs to be swift. If they're, you know, running in traffic and there's a near miss with a car and you grab them and swat their bottom, it's going to get their attention. Mm-hmm. And then you can circle back around. But when you're standing in the road, you're not going to say the cars go very fast and this is very dangerous. You know, you're going to circle back around at another time and say, this is why you scared us. This was dangerous. We need to be more careful. It's not always going to happen right in the middle of disciplining, but just letting them know why, why you disciplined, what they did to cross the line and what their response should be. We can't overreact. We should not discipline for accidentally spilling their milk. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have long said there's three reasons for discipline. That would be disrespect, deceit, and disobedience kind of a 3D approach here. Not inconvenience? Not just when you wake me up or I have to change my plans? You can't discipline then? That's where our parental pride comes in. And Lord, forgive me, help me. 
to love these kids right where they are. But uh, if they are mouthing off, disrespectful, if they're, you know, deceitful, they've lied, or they're deliberately disobedient, then you discipline for that. Yeah, I, I remember when my kids were little, disciplining them out of anger because of inconvenience, yeah. because I didn't like the response I was getting or the reaction that I was getting. And I, I had to learn that of asking that question, like, what is the sin that they're committing? Is it deceit or, you know, are they lying? Are they they're not telling the truth? Whatever it is. I mean, it, it, once I kind of had, I had to get to that point because it was like, no, I just don't like what's happening. I want to be in control. They're out of control. So therefore I want to discipline them. So I also liked what you guys said about being consistent. I think that's a, that's a huge thing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. how many times am I going to let them get away with this? Like I said that, and then they look at you with the puppy dog eyes and they're crying and like, but daddy. And it's like, yeah, but I did, I did say, you know, and I got to keep my word. Otherwise you start to lose, they lose respect of like, they yeah, they're going to call your bluff and be like, yeah, they ain't going to do nothing. Mm -hmm. I'll do it again until they actually do something. I remember my mom saying uh, when I was, when I was like in middle school, high school, she was like, you, you, you need to get, the kid needs to know that there is, um, that you're in charge and that there's, there's repercussions for your, you know, disobedience, even when they're really little, like by the time they're two or three, they need to understand like there is punishment coming and you've got to follow through with it. And I always remember that because it's like, she said, if you don't get that, to, if you don't, they don't understand that, then that will go through their childhood and into middle school. And then you're having problems because you haven't actually determined like, no, like I'm the parent, you're the child. <laughs> there's going to be punishment if there's disobedience or whatever. So um, I think their place in the family is super important too. Not only the boundaries, which do breed security, right? I know what I can get away with and I know where, what's, where the line is that I can or cannot cross, but also um, being secure in the family and understanding that role that they are the parent and God put them in charge of me. And the relationship between the husband and wife is way more important than any child. And I think you alluded to that. Um, what we had taken it, they called it couch time and sitting down. And yes, it's important to have those conversations when the kids aren't around, but it's also important to sit together on the couch when the kids are little and seeing that, that the relationship isn't dad and I looking at the child and the child is our world. The relationship is mom and dad looking at each other and the child looking to the parents and understanding that this is my security. I mean, that's huge for kids and that can cause anxiety. Like I said, they're the first ones to, to call mm -hmm. your bluff when things aren't real. We need to boundaries just yeah. to help them to be more secure in their relationship with you. Yep. I, I tell guys, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother. When they see that demonstrated love, that, as Lisa said, is really big. Yeah. Okay, so finishing up here, people listening to this are like, that's great. You guys have kids that love Jesus, and it was awesome, and parenting was amazing, and you guys got it all figured out. Praise the Lord. Okay, so there are people out there that are struggling. <laughs> They're ready to pull their hair out. They don't know what to do. Uh, what, what words of encouragement would you give them? Give them some hope of, what do I do? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm lost. Help me out. Just uh, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Um, I had alluded before to um, just finding your people, finding somebody who's just a little bit farther down the road from you who can has hindsight to look back and say, it's going to be okay. We all survived this. 
Um, my kids still love me, even though I had to be the tough parent. And um, we even had Emily's first um, first week at school. She texted us and said, thank you for raising me in a Christian home. Hmm. And that's that's our goal, right? Amen. That's mm-hmm. That's what we want as parents. But you have to surround them with the church family. They can't just listen to us. They have to have other adults in their life who are following Christ. They can say the same exact thing that you say, but coming from someone else's mouth into their ears, then someday they'll come around and say, you were right. You were right all along. I just had to hear it from seven different people before before I got it. But things like mops, um, our playgroup here at church, Sailorville Moms, just getting together, encouraging people. Um, they don't have to be, it is great to have older women in your life too, because they are even farther down the road and have more hindsight. Um, but having moms that are in the trenches with you, that can just, that's shoulder to shoulder parenting. They're going to back you up. They're going to say the same thing that you're saying, just from a different mouth. Yeah. Well said, Lisa. I really appreciate that. We don't want to leave the impression that somehow we have it all together. Mm-hmm. That's the last impression we want to leave here. We're fellow strugglers, yep. and our hearts ache for those who have kids that are not following the Lord. And I have many people who've come to me in that dilemma saying, Kurt, what do I do? How do I handle this? Even my adult kids that have pushed away from the faith, they've deconstructed later on in life after they've left their uh, education system, and they're on their own. Uh, Lisa really, really said it well. It's a long journey in the same direction, so hang in there. The journey hasn't finished yet. Um, I I tell, if they're in the teen years, parents, I say, do special things with the kids. Uh, Take them on a trip. Maybe the Boundary Waters or someplace like that. <laughs> you know, do something special they like to do. Hang out with them. Let them mm-hmm. talk. Engage them. Try to find out what's going on in their heart, in their life. Uh, I would caution, don't let extracurricular activities run their lives. Right. I, I'm fully convinced that many families are way too busy, and they've let their kids be involved in too many things. And that really can be a death knell to their faith. And they're watching their kids participate in life rather than participating with them in life. Mm. So be careful how many things you get them involved in. You need true family time. I'm a firm believer in trying to make sure that that supper time is at least one meal a day where everybody can be together, laying technology aside, talking about life, engaging one another. That's really, really important. And keep them involved in church. If they're in some premier league and they're missing most of the year coming to church, youth group, whatever, because they're involved outside, uh, that that could cause some problems. There's got to be priorities. And we have to put our foot down and say, no, the Lord's work and the local church is going to be important. The best thing I think a family can do for for their families to be in church and the best thing a church can do is to to... to have special family time. It, it works both ways. And I would say, pray for your kids by name every day. Get some people around you to pray with you about them. And as Lisa mentioned, share with other parents for support because they're going through it too. Mm-hmm. We're all in this long journey together and we need each other because mm-hmm. parenting is really hard. Lord help us. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they're really good, really good thoughts there. I think the 
I'm not sure which one of you said it, but, you know, loving Jesus, first and foremost, like, you know, you guys are being examples, right? We're being examples to our kids. I think that's, I think we can't undersell that and say like, man, if we as parents can love Jesus and they can see that in us, like that's such a, um, I don't know, like you said, like the kids just pick up on the, the mm-hmm. hypocrisy. They pick up on like, you don't really believe this. You don't really, you know, and then you try to like, well, if we put this formula together and this, it, but at the end of the day, it is by the grace of God that <laughs> we were just thankful that, man, thank you, Lord, for somehow using our in, inadequacies to teach our kids on some level. Any last words from you guys? Thanks so much for joining us here. This is awesome. I really appreciate Lisa joining us today. Uh, she has a lot of wisdom, and I'm grateful for her participation today. Abe, these last four sessions, including today, thank you for hosting them. You've done a great job. It's just a oh, delight thanks. to be with you. I hope God can use these broadcasts, these podcasts, for the betterment of our people. Yeah. Anything else, Lisa? I think that's it. We covered a lot of ground. Yep. Very good. So thanks so much for being here. It was really fun. And if you didn't get to listen to the other podcasts, there's three other ones that go and look at those as well. So I th- think, uh, I think Jared has done a podcast with Alyssa recently on parenting too. So you may want to take a look, a listen to what they've done as well. Yeah. The Sailorville uh, kids podcast. Right. Yep. Thanks.